next time we'll have to get Esther in there. We, I think we almost had her, but uh, next time. So, amen. They, what, what you may not know is Zipporah has actually started singing with Mrs. Whitler uh, over in the um, the meadows, and uh, they may have been singing elsewhere. I think also, but uh, uh, they've been they they've been singing in the the lobby area, and and I know last time I was in there, they even mentioned uh, how that they were in there singing, and and uh, so they're they're like stars over there, you know, and uh, but uh, Z I think Zipporah, if you hang around there too long, that you might be moving in there. So you never know, Philip. You might be selling that house before you know it. I'm kidding with you here, but. Uh, uh, <laughs> <laughs> we appreciate that music. Amen. Praise the Lord for people using their talents to serve the Lord. Look, you don't have to have uh, any great skill or talent to serve God. You just have to have a heart to serve him. And if there's one thing I can say for both Mrs. Whitler and uh, Philip and Zipporah Daniels is, is they, they're willing to serve. And, and that's been uh, uh, clearly seen by uh, the evidence in their life to, to serve. And we're very thankful for that. And we praise the Lord for that. Amen. Only God does that working in an individual's heart and life. Uh, if man produces it, then it's not truly service. If it's done for man, then it's not truly service. True service is done in honor and pl it's, it's to please God. Amen? And may that be in all that we do, everything be done to please the Lord. Let's take our Bibles with one another to Acts chapter number 9 this morning. Acts chapter 9. We're thinking this morning on uh, uh, Gospel Testimony Sunday, uh, the privilege and opportunity that God has given us to give a testimony. And we face the question really to ask ourselves, what is a testimony? What is a testimony? Acts chapter 9, you can't uh, really probably cannot find a greater passage of scripture that breaks down the exact definition of that of which a testimony is and the different angles and aspects concerning a testimony of a Christian individual. Uh, we come to the life and the, the, should we say, even the beginning story of Paul. Uh, at the time, he's referred to as Saul, and we know him and have, been, uh, have, uh, have seen him mentioned just in the prior passages in Acts chapter uh, at seven and eight of the, his persecuting of Christians. We don't know necessarily if Paul was the exact individual who directly performed the murders, but he definitely was behind the murdering and the authority that, that initiated the murdering of Christians. This was a persecutor of Christians. He calls himself the sinner above sinners, the sinner of sinners, the, the, the greatest, the worst of all sinners he, he defined himself as. And yet we find his testimony here in Acts chapter 9. In fact, this is not just and only the time that we find his testimony given, but if you read the book of Acts, you'll find yet another two times that he shares the testimony and almost word for word verbatim of what God had done in his life and the encounter in which he had with God. I say to you this morning that when we define a testimony of God, it begins first by having a relationship with God. Amen? A relationship with God. You know, John so defines it this way, that there is a difference between having fellowship and a relationship. There's a difference between having fellowship and a relationship. You know, anyone can believe in God. Anyone can pray to God. Anyone can read God's word. But true fellowship with God is one that is, is uh, knowing what God has done for them. They've received God by faith. They've acknowledged their sin before God, repented of their sins, and, and have committed their life to God. 
This is that individual who has true fellowship with him. Let me ask you this morning, are you a born-again Christian? I'm not asking you if you are a Christian because uh, the truth be told, Christianity is defined uh, by many in so many different ways. Are you born again? Have you been born again? Do you know that if you were to die today that you, without any doubt, without any shadow of a doubt, without any uh, consideration, that you would for sure go to heaven? Do you believe that heaven is real and that hell is a real and literal place? Do you believe that if you were to die that you would spend eternity in one of two places and that is simply and only determined by whether or not you put your faith and trust in him? I say to you this morning that when we define a testimony of God, it begins first with a relationship with him. We see that relationship beginning in Paul's life. In Acts chapter 9, we know the story, so I don't want to belabor uh, the content, but let us, uh, for context's sake, begin in verse 1. The word of God says, And Saul, yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples uh, of the Lord, went unto the high priest, and desired of him letters to Damascus, to the synagogues, that if he found any of this way, whether they were men or women, he might bring them bound unto Jerusalem. And as he journeyed, he came near Damascus. And suddenly there shined round about him a light from heaven. And he fell on the earth and heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And he said, Who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. And he trembled and, and, he, and astonished, said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? And the Lord said unto him, Arise, go into the city, and it shall be told thee what thou must do. It's verse 5 and 6 that we see the conversion, we would use the word, or the, uh, the saving of Paul, uh, at this time referred to as Saul, but the, the, his giving of his life to God. There's a significance in, in, in the questions you notice that he asks where Jesus begins to speak to him from heaven. He hears this voice and he sees this light shining about him and the, uh, the question being brought to him, why persecutest thou me? You understand that it was Saul's persecution and or it, it was his sin towards others that was not, a it was not anything more than a sin directly to God. Can I remind you today that no matter who you are, your sin upon this earth is a sin against God. There is no sin that ever exists that does not go directly against God. Amen? The Bible tells us that at the end of the day, sin is anything that we think, say, or do that breaks God's law. It goes against God's word. And a wrong relationship with man is a wrong relationship with God. And here we find Paul in his uh, desire and intent to persecute Christians. I remind you that Paul is a Pharisee. He is a religious man. In fact, if you were to ask him, he probably would have told you, yes, I am a Christian. But the Pharisees and the Sadducees, these religious people, having their own different sects and beliefs and all these things that went with that, uh, it, 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 it would seem that Paul almost believed that he was doing a very act of God through his persecution. Remember, it was the Pharisees that don't believe in the supernatural, whereas the Sadducees don't believe uh, that Jesus rose from the dead. The Pharisees, and yet all that they uh, have been hearing of the apostles and Jesus rising from the dead, it's, it, it was that, that this would be a supernatural event and that they're causing such a stir and thousands and hundreds of people are coming to Christ and, and, and the following of Christianity. The, the Pharisees are wanting to dumb all this out. Their synagogues are now being filled with, 
with people that are that are true believers in Christ and now truly understand that they, they are sinners in need of Christ and they've given their life over to him. And, and here Paul, in his response to this, he's seeking to gain permission by the highest of authority over the synagogues. Now I remind you again, these synagogues may as well call them churches. Uh, the, these, the, he is uh, of, of the highest of the ranks has received permission to go into Damascus, which history tells us roughly 30 to 40 synagogues would have been in Damascus, and to, with, to go within them and to pull out and to remove those Christians. Here the Phariseeism and the Sadduceeism and, and all this Judaism in itself that, that was filled with traditionalism in reality was not at all God's uh, salvation and what he has for mankind, but rather it was man's form and way of, of following religion. I, I remind you today that religion does not save you. Amen? Religion does not uh, make you or cause you to be a born-again Christian. You may be a member of Community Bible Church, or you might be a member of another church, but even membership does not grant salvation. Uh, you might be a baptized individual. That does not grant you salvation. You might be the greatest person that's lived upon this earth, let alone you might be the best and, and not the black sheep of your family, the best living individual in your household. You are the best of, the, of however many children in your home, and you, you've made the greatest choices in your life above everyone else, and, and you're, you're living to the best of your ability, and you're living a successful life. But I say to you that there is only one way of salvation, and that's through Jesus Christ. Amen? That salvation is granted and given and in, in return received only by faith. God made that way of salvation possible through his death on the cross. When Jesus died on the cross, he took our sinless record upon himself. He took the punishment which we deserve of death upon himself. Yes, we still will die. Our bodies will die upon this earth. But in God's dying and taking our place, he took that punishment. That punishment was not simply death. Although that, that would be less, uh, uh, less of a punishment in reality if we just simply died and there was life no more. But the Bible tells us that when we die, we will spend eternity in one of two places. The death punishment which Jesus took upon himself was making a way so that we do not have to burn in an eternal hell. Because here's the truth of the matter. If you've never received Jesus Christ, that is your eternal destination. If you've never been born again, if you have any doubt in your mind, that is your eternal destination. If you're basing your Christianity upon church membership or baptism or some prayer that you made when you were a young child or the good living which you're living now, the Bible tells us your eternal destination is hell. There's only one way, only one way to heaven. There's only one way of salvation, and it's through Jesus Christ. And it is Paul who comes to this realization and the acknowledgement of his sin. Here he has a personal encounter with God, and Jesus speaks to him and says, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? Jesus identifies his sin. Saul now acknowledges that this is God. You notice the interesting response that he gives. He says, Lord, who art thou, Lord? Oh, he knows this is God he's speaking to, but, but the, the, this is such an overwhelming moment, uh, undoubtedly within his mind, and, and all this is compiling upon one another. And, and uh, though acknowledging now that this has to be God, yet still a refusal within his heart to have complete faith. May I say to you today that if you have never received Jesus Christ, your personal Savior, if you're not a born-again Christian, there will come a time in your life, if you're sitting under Bible preaching, 
if you're reading God's word, if you're praying, if you are sincerely and genuinely doing those things, there will come a time in your life where the Holy Spirit will begin to convict you. That conviction is that wrestling. It's that pushing back. It's that part of you that says, I don't want to respond. We heard in testimony today that the, of one of um, the ladies mentioning, I didn't want to go forward in the invitation. What they were saying was, is not that the invitation granted their salvation, but it was that invitation that was an invite for them to know how that they can go to heaven. That conviction. There's a conviction. Let me tell you, if you've ever sat in a church service and you've not been convicted, then you need to be asking yourself if you're even a Christian. Because the Holy Spirit, if we are truly allowing Him to work, He's always convicting. But that first and beginning place in the Christian life begins with a conviction within our heart of whether or not we have truly received Christ. I wonder, if you're sitting in your pew right now and, you ask, and you're, you're debating, you are wondering in your mind, have I ever truly been born again? The truth be told, you, you, if there's a wonder in your mind, you need, you've got something to settle in your heart. Amen? You've got something to, to, to really decide within your heart. Are you going to give your life to Christ? This was what Paul was faced with. Am I going to give my life to the Lord? I know this is God. You might be here this morning. You say, I know that we're opening God's word. I know that I'm in God's house. I know that I'm in the presence of God. But as God speaks to you and you hear his voice, are you responding? Or are you as Paul? Who art thou, Lord? Don't ask the obvious. <laughs> if God is there and you know that God's speaking to you, the question is simply, are you going to give your life to him? It is then at this point and place of conviction that we see Paul turning his life and giving his life over to God, where once he asks and says, Who art our Lord? Now he responds, and he says, And trembling in astonishment, verse 6, uh, we see it of his response. He says, What wilt thou have for me to do? What is this? This is a giving of his life to God. God, I'm giving my life to you. My old life is now past. You've changed my life. You've helped me to realize that you are real. You've helped me to realize that, that the life which I've been living is not honorable and pleasing to you. In fact, I'm persecuting you as a result of my sin. You've helped me to realize that uh, it's, it's, it, it, there is no greater decision in my life than I could ever make than giving my life to you. And I say to you this morning, if you do not know and understand what a testimony is, a testimony is you being able to verbally say and to tell others of the day in which you became a born-again Christian. You understand what born again means? Is that phrase that Jesus used when speaking to Nicodemus, you must be born again. And Nicodemus says, what do you mean? I literally have to crawl back into the womb and be born a second time physically? Yet it was Jesus who was speaking of a spiritual birth. Have you been spiritually born again? Spiritually born again. The greatest evidence of a born again Christian is their desire to grow. What does a baby do when, they, when they're born, right? Well, they, they, they eat, sleep, and poop, right? But, but they're, they're, they're hungry, right? Continually, it seems like. Every couple hours, it's like, ah, you know, feed me, right? And they're, they're wanting more. They're wanting to be fed. They're wanting to, 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 to have something to progress. And the new Christian has the same response spiritually. Let me tell you, if there's no desire to grow in your spiritual life, if there's no desire to use your growth to serve God, in your life, you need to be asking yourself, do you truly know the Lord? You know, because I come back again to 1 John, because it's John himself who says, you can have a relationship with God, but not have a fellowship with God. Because though works, the Bible tells us, works do not grant salvation, 
yet they are an outproduct of our salvation. The evidence that you are a Christian is if you have a desire and intent to serve God with all of your life. That you are saying the same thing that Paul said. Whatever you have for me to do, Lord. What do you have for me to do? Paul's on the road to Damascus. Here, here, history tells us very likely would have been a week-long journey. And so here, here he's got plenty of time to be thinking about all this as he's on this road to Damascus. But yet in the midst of this encounter which he has to God, he says, what do you have for me to do? God, I'm willing to drop everything. I'm willing to turn the other direction. I'm willing to keep going to Damascus. Whatever you want me to do. Oh, that there would be more Christians who would have such a fellowship with God. Understand what we mean by that word. Such a fellowship with God. Yes, you may have the relationship, but do you have fellowship with him? Do you have such a fellowship with God that now you are seeking to uh, take what Christian life that God has given to you and give it to others and use it for God, use it for his glory? You see, we find the definition in the breakdown of a testimony in Paul's life here in this passage of Scripture. I've broken it down really in four different ways. And the first, uh, when we consider the testimony of God, a testimony of God, the first is seen through baptism. Through baptism. You notice in, 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 uh, that it is Ananias who is sent to Paul, and Ananias speaks to, to Paul and, and, and sent by God, and we could touch on that many, in many ways. Verse 15, he re, uh, Jesus refers to Paul as a chosen vessel. I've chosen Paul uh, in as the very same way God has chosen us. But notice what happens in verse 18. And immediately there fell from his eyes. Paul was blind. He became blind as a result of the light. As it had been scales, he received sight forthwith and arose and was baptized. The very first thing that followed Paul's salvation was baptism. Yes, God had placed a calling upon his life and he understood that and he was willing to go. But that first step was baptism. Can I say to you this morning, uh, again, you may have been baptized, but if you have never been born again, the word of God's definition of a Christian, you are not a Christian. That, that does not grant salvation. Amen? Baptism does not grant salvation. Baptism, uh, in, its, in its very sense of the way, is only a picture, or should I say, a testimony of what God has done in your life. Just a few weeks ago, we had someone baptized in our service, and when we consider that water and the, and the individual standing in that water, it's a picture of the cross. And why, why do we uh, dip them into the water? It's a picture of that death, the burial, and the resurrection of Christ. We don't, there is not a sprinkling that takes place. God's way and biblical way of baptism is baptism by immersion. It is to be a testimony, to be a picture to the saints, to the believers, but yet also to the unbeliever. It doesn't just identify with the believers, but I say to you, it also is a testimony of God. It's that individual who's following obedience that says, I am now dying to self and I'm living a new life in Christ. It's a picture of Christ. It's an identification with God's people and with God himself. Baptism. I wonder, maybe you're a Christian here today, have you ever been scripturally baptized? You may have... Uh, gone to I don't know what church and you were baptized at a young age I'm asking have you been scripturally baptized since you were born again and you became a Christian have you been baptized by immersion that's God's that's God's uh, intent uh, for every Christian is that we would be baptized that's God's command for every Christian is that we would be baptized 
Have you been baptized by immersion? I've talked to many that say, you know, uh, that some say, well, I don't need to be, you know, I've been baptized many times when I was younger and now I'm born again, but I don't, I don't see the reason in being baptized again. But yet you understand that baptism does nothing on both sides, but especially does nothing if you've never truly, sincerely given your life to God. Amen? I say to you, baptism is not just something that uh, we should ever be pressured into. When we have individuals baptized here at our, at our church, here at Community Bible Church, we don't uh, tell them and command them, now that you have gotten saved, you need to be baptized. Well, we tell them God's Word tells us that's what we need to do. We encourage them and challenge them to do. But that has to be their choice. Because here's what baptism is. It's more than just me getting in water and going down under the water. It is that individual saying, I individually am identifying with God. That I am a believer. I have died to self. I have now have a new life in Christ. And I am now committing. And I'm testifying to every believer, everyone who's watching, everyone before me, that I am now living a new life in Christ. You see, baptism, as we find in Scripture, is in that very way. It is Jesus who was said in, in the Word of God to have come up out of the water. Just the previous passage, chapter 8, we see the Ethiopian eunuch, he came up out of the water. Biblical baptism. I say to you, number two, baptism uh, is not just the first of a testimony, but also our behavior. Our behavior. In verse 22 of chapter 9, the Bible says, But Saul increased in more strength and confounded the Jews which dwelt at Damascus, proving that this is very Christ. He increased in more strength. There was a desire to progress, a desire to grow. Turn a few pages over to Acts chapter 2. Look at verse 42. Acts chapter 2 and verse 42, we find Acts chapter 2 was the uh, time in which the apostles were given the power of the Holy Ghost, and we find many believers coming to Jesus Christ. But notice what the Word of God says about them. After they received Christ, they're now born-again Christians, verse 42, they continued, chapter 2, verse 42, they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and breaking of bread and in prayers. You see, most professing Christians live as if this world is all there is. Our behavior doesn't show evidence of Christ's change in our life. What I'm trying to say is, Christian, what you choose, uh, let me get your attention for just a moment. What you choose to do, what you choose to do with your life is evidence and testimony of your behavior for God. Does your testimony in what you do, your behavior, does it exemplify that you are a believer in Christ? You see, there are things that the Christian should not do. There are reasons why God tells us not to do these things, not because he's trying to lord over us to be some great and high God that, that, that we just do absolutely everything he does in shivering fear. But it is, it is uh, that God gives us these things of what not to do in order and so that the name of Christ, the testimony of Christ, can be seen through our behavior. There should be things that you choose not to do with your family because you are a Christian. There should be places which you choose not to go with your family because you are a Christian. 
There should be websites that you're not browsing because you are a Christian. There should be TV shows and movies that you're not watching because you are a Christian. There should be friends and people that you're not spending time with because you are a Christian. There should be words which you're not using because you are a Christian. We could go on and on and on. There's a line of separation that you are choosing to have separated unto God and from the world. Your behavior. Does your behavior speak of the testimony of Christ? Here we find an immediate moment of, in Paul's life, I'm choosing to grow, I'm choosing to progress, I'm choosing to be strengthened. I'm wanting to get all that I can get. We find in the church themselves, here they're, they're progressing in all that they're given. Boy, I, I, I say to you again, this time which we have in Sunday morning service, Sunday night service, Wednesday night service, if it is not seen to you as a time in which we are growing together, Together, we're progressing together in the, in the doctrines, the truth of God's word. We need to be asking ourselves, do we have a proper fellowship with God as we should? I remind you that growth doesn't start and stop in the church. It should be continuing all throughout our individual life. Every day. If you're basing all of your growth in your Christian life simply in the house of God, you've got a wrong focus. You've got a wrong focus. I don't eat one meal a day and expect to live for the rest of the week. I have to keep eating to keep myself looking nice and slim, right? As a Christian, we have to keep feeding ourselves. If you're just basing on the shepherd to give you all your food, then you, you, when you've got a green pasture all around you, you've not opened your eyes. Amen? The Bible tells us the testimony of baptism, the testimony of behavior, the testimony of belonging. Verse 26, the Bible tells us, here is Paul, now he having received Christ. We're in Acts chapter 9, verse 26. Now he has received Christ, he's a Christian, and he desires to go back to the church at Jerusalem and to become a member of the church. Notice verse 26, and when Saul was come to Jerusalem, he essayed to join himself to disciples. I'd say to you, first of all, that uh, a testimony of Christ is your membership within a church. Now, I am not a, as a, do I believe it's even scriptural that the pastor or anyone should pressure somebody to become a member of a church. Because the truth of the matter is, just as salvation should be the choice of the believer, just as baptism should be the choice of the believer, so church membership should be also. But I will say, it is impossible, I say to you again, it is impossible for the believer to sit under preaching and teaching of God's word and not, and not be under conviction with any desire to either join or not to join to those believers. What the point is, is this, is here we find a Paul, and he finds, he sees a body of believers. Remember, the church is not the building, it's the believers, amen? It's the people. He sees a body of believers, and he says, I agree with what they're preaching and teaching. I agree with what they're doing in their service. I agree with the direction that they're going, their emphasis on the gospel, their direction and missions. I agree with all their stance, and so I'm going to join myself with them. By my testimony, I'm going to testify before others that I'm with a body of believers that is seeking to obey the word of God. And in the very same way, I'm identifying with God in his house. Amen? A testimony. If you're not a member of a church, you should be. If you're praying about membership, well then keep praying about membership and ask God, is this the church that you'd have for you to be? I don't think you'll find a better church in Norfolk, but that's my biased personal opinion. I'm joking, okay? But uh, uh, you, you, you should be praying about it. You should. 
as a Christian, you find even in Acts chapter 2 uh, of the members, as we just read in verse 41, I believe it is, 41 and 42, that the believers, they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, and they joined themselves. They joined to the church. They became a part. I say to you, church membership is not just simply getting a label. Look at me. I'm a member of Community Bible Church. We don't give name tags, okay? But sometimes church members can live as though they have a name tag. Amen? As though we're some, somebody, someone to, uh, to look at, as though we're some great person on ivory tower. The truth be told, church membership is simply you, you testifying to the church, I agree. And it's you testifying before God that I'm going to be faithful to God's house. Did you catch that word? Faithful to God's house. Are you faithful to the house of God? If you're a member of Community Bible Church, you should be faithful. You should be a part. You should be serving in agreement. I agree with where the church is going. I agree with their mission's emphasis. I agree with the direction that they're going with all these things. I desire to be a part because I am a member of this church. If you're not proud to be a member of Community Bible Church, then you need to be asking yourself, is this a church I should be in? Amen? The Bible tells us that, they, that Paul belonged. There was a testimony, a desire to belong to that church. If you are not a member of Community Bible Church, pray, would God have for me to belong? You know, much of the very reason why uh, many individuals resist belonging and or joining to a church is because they don't want to further identify and commit to God. They can't commit to the faithfulness. They can't commit to the serving. They can't commit to, you fill in the blank. Some Christians have seared their conscience, unfortunately, enough that they can live with themselves of being even a member of, a, of God's church and not agreeing with what's, what, what God intends to do. I believe God's biblical manner, biblical manner, God has ordained the local church, he ordains the pastor, he ordains the evangelist, the missionary, God has the order within the church, the deacons within the church, the leadership all being brought together for the purpose and intent of the growth of, the, of, the, uh, of each Christian individual and for the pursuit of the entire church in unity with one another, going forward to obey the Lord in the Great Commission. Amen? To go into all the world and preach the gospel. Baptizing, teaching, discipling. This is God's command that he's not just given to pastors. He's given it to the whole church. Is that our testimony? Do you have a testimony uh, of the local church? A testimony to, uh, of Christ through the church? I say to you, sometimes it's unfortunate, but we can place such an emphasis upon the, the church membership. Even out on our def definition of soul winning. Well, come to our church. That's not soul winning. Coming to a church, attending a church, becoming a church member, that's not Christianity. The Bible tells us that, uh, a, 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 that uh, there is an order to all of these things. And the local church, have, God having ordained, is that which we are partnering together with. Look, I, I desire for God to build his church. Amen? That God would build it. Do we believe that today? Amen? May God build our church. That's our prayer. That's our desire. And praise the Lord for those who have joined to our church. But God has to bring those people. God has to do the building. God has to do the working within their heart. We can't just, as a church, let anybody join this church, Community Bible Church. You know, here's Joe Schmo. He just walks in. We don't know who he is. Oh, you want to join the church? Sure. Here's a name tag, right? There would be no identification with God. 
to join our church. There's no, uh, you know, we don't put you, at lie, put you on a lie detector and hook you all up and make sure that everything's all appropriate and everything okay. But we do help to make sure that those individuals understand, hey, you are committing to God, you are committing to the church. You're saying, I agree with where the church stands, and I desire to be a part of this church. I desire to serve within this church. That is the biblical the biblical format that God gives. No, nowhere in Scripture will you ever find those who did not join the church and did, not, and did not so belong that they weren't also doing the very same thing the apostles were seeking to do. We see the last of those things, and I believe uh, of a great importance and a great application, I would say, to many of us. They didn't just, we don't just find of them in baptism, of, of behavior, and in belonging of, of Paul, but yet also in the area of boldness. And we've come full circle in testimony to, to find ourselves in verse uh, number 20 to begin with of chapter 9. Look at what the Bible says of Paul. And straightway he preached. Now he's just been baptized. I mean, for goodness sake, he's not even joined the church. But he's preaching. Now look at verse number 27. The Bible says here, verse 26, he's already come to the church. And actually, uh, take one step back. Look at verse 26. The Bible says, And when Saul was come to Jerusalem, he essayed to join himself to the disciples, but they were all afraid of him and believed not that he was a disciple. You know, by the way, the saddest part of a, of a church is when someone joins to the church and they're not welcomed by the church themselves. Can I get an amen? If someone's a part of this church, they are your family. They should be treated as family. It doesn't matter their race, doesn't matter their color, doesn't matter their background, doesn't matter uh, how little knowledge they have of Christ. They're your family. You say, well, family doesn't get along very well all the time. No, that's true. We butt heads. Family has, have bumps along the way. But you should, as a Christian, be showing them love in Christ. If God would give you the opportunity, you should be discipling that individual. You should be inviting that individual over to your home. Oh, that, I know we're in a COVID society, but would to God that, that we would have such a family environment that we're... We're spending time with each other in that way. Hey, when was the last time you invited someone in your church family over to your home? For lunch, Sunday afternoon. The crock pot was going, or maybe you have an Instapot, you're real fancy like that, okay? Something was going and you were cooking, you have it all ready to go, right? When was the last time you, you reached out to the church family and said, hey, we're going to go you know, uh, watch a basketball game, or we're going to go watch a volleyball game, or we're, we're going over to the college and do some things, or we're going out... Uh, to go throw an axe downtown or something, you know. You want to come with us? Church family. That we would do more things as a church family. We can become so individualized, independent. Oh, I'm an independent fundamental Baptist, but sometimes we can become so independent, so independent that we're so individualistic we only do things ourselves. Amen? You know, there's a reason why we've been having all the fellowships and things like that. You know, we're trying to cultivate this very idea that's not Pastor Millerism. This is Bible. There is fellowship. The Bible tells us in Acts chapter 2, go read it on your own time. They continued steadfastly in fellowship in breaking of bread. Oh, there is a relationship. I say to you again, if you don't feel like you have a relationship with your fellow believers in Christ here at Community Bible Church, you should be asking yourself, is this the place that God has for me? Amen? The Bible tells us, we come to verse 27, And Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared unto them how he had seen the Lord in the way and that he had spoken to him and how he preached, mark it if you haven't marked it, boldly. 
boldly at Damascus in the name of Jesus. You know what the word boldly means? It means to speak freely or to grow confidence. I don't speak against any one specific individual. I speak including myself. Uh, all of us as Christians, I, I, I believe one of the greatest reasons why one of the greatest reasons why we lack the power of the Holy Spirit in our life is because I say it to you a different way. One of the greatest reasons why we lack boldness is because we lack the power of the Holy Spirit in our life. When we consider the, a testimony, your testimony, look up at me for just a second, your testimony should be the most bold, the most boldly spoken thing you have of God. I mean, you should be able to confidently and freely speak of your testimony of God. If you're ashamed of your testimony of God, if you're afraid that you're going to get too emotional, if you're afraid uh, of what others may think, you're looking at it all the wrong way. You're not dependent on the power of the Holy Spirit. Because you know how Paul spoke? You know how he spoke boldly? Look back, Acts chapter 9. Look at, look at the verse. Acts chapter 9 and verse uh, number 17. Here Ananias comes and he's, he's following God's direction, but notice, the Bible says, And Ananias went his way and entered into the house, this is where Paul was, and putting his hands on him, said, Brother Saul, the Lord, even Jesus, had appeared unto thee in the way as thou camest, has sent me that thou mightest receive thy sight and be filled with what? The Holy Ghost. And then you read verse 20, and straightway he went out and preached. And Barnabas defines it this way, he boldly spoke. How did he do it? Through the power of the Holy Spirit. Christian, you wonder how you can give your testimony? Depend on the Holy Spirit. You wonder how you can speak the name of Christ? Depend on the Holy Spirit. God forbid that we would be a church that is defined, uh, that we shiver in fear of sharing the testimony of Christ. We should be bold for Christ. Bold for Him. We're unashamed, boldly speaking for Him. Hey, the greatest, the, the greatest people that, that you should be welcomed and feeling welcome to share your testimony with should be your own church family. Tonight we're going to have some testimonies and we're going to give opportunity for you to share a testimony. Hey, I, I, I challenge you, I encourage you, I speak to you as we find in Scripture, you should be bold with your testimony. If you're afraid of what others are thinking, you're not depending on the Holy Spirit. Amen? The Bible tells us he was bold. He was bold. Boldness is, is one that is one that's with no hesitation. I'm, I'm, not, uh, I'm not wondering, I'm not considering, I'm ready. Christian, are you ready to share your testimony? Stay with me. This is, this is the whole circle of the whole message. Are you ready to share your testimony? God forbid it should happen. Say you're, you're, driving, you're driving home and you get into a car wreck. That individual's at that point of death. Would you be so ready and so bold to share your testimony at that very moment with that individual? be sure that they know Christ. If, 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 are you so bold with the gospel of Christ that when you hand someone a track, you're ready to share your testimony if God provides that opportunity? Are you that bold? You say, well, I can't be. I'm not, I'm not good. I don't know how. The Holy Spirit. Depend on the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit can help you. He can enable you. Read Romans chapter 7 and chapter 8. The Holy Spirit, He, he dwells within us, but He also leads us. He, he works within us. And he tells us in Romans chapter 8, verse 28, all things work together for good to them who are called, called, 
And they were called according to his purpose. God has a purpose in all things. The purposeful things that God brings into your life is so that you can testify of him. I say to you today, you might be a believer in Jesus Christ. You might even be scripturally baptized. You, you might be, uh, belong to a Bible-believing church and praise God for that. You might belong to one. Uh, you, 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 you might have all your ducks in a row, but if you are, uh, if you are ashamed to share your testimony of Christ, you're not depending on the Holy Spirit. I believe one of the greatest reasons why the gospel isn't going forward as it should in churches today is because too many Christians have shriveled away from sharing their testimony. They're not depending on the Holy Spirit. Too many churches that are not dependent upon God's power. Amen? May God help us. Let's every head bowed and every eye closed. I wonder if you're here this morning, if I could challenge you, encourage you as your pastor. If God has spoken to your heart, do you need to come and do some business with him? This is an invitation for you to do business with God.